Hey, welcome to Lakeview Sermon of the Week. We're so grateful to have you here, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. I was preaching in uh, Richfield, Rich, what is it, Rich? Richfield, anyway, out somewhere. I was in Arkansas, but you know, and I've only been going there just about every month to fill in while they look for a pastor, but um, I think I heard pastor say, did I, let me, let me see if I got this right. Pastor, did you say this? You said, uh, you know, there's decently and in order. We said that for years, but shouldn't they really be saying these people aren't drunk as you suppose? Ah, come on. Let's be drunk. Let's be drunk. Let's be so surrendered to the Lord that we, we just, you know, I, I never liked the phrase that he's too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. The only ones that are earthly good are the ones that are heavenly minded. So let's be heavenly minded. Let's be, let's be drunk in Jesus. You know what I like about drunks in the good side, not the mean ones, but they're uninhibited. Christian, you need to be uninhibited. You know, we used to have a song, something, I don't remember how it went, but that song at Calvary where we would turn around, you remember that? I don't remember what it was. Probably. It was the hardest thing in the world for me to turn around. I'd be like, and then about this, it'd smooth out, you know. Oh, I feel better now. (laughs) Just leave your inhibitions behind and worship the Lord. Amen. And that's the point, you know. I believe that the worshipers that are using flags, you know, they're just getting caught up in the Lord. You know, and I remember when I was a head usher at a a very uh, wonderful church, there was a woman with um, sort of, uh, instead of a flag, a big shawl or something, and she would just twirl in the back. And, you know, what I loved about it was she would just privately have in time with the Lord. Except for the ushers, we didn't, you know, nobody knew she was back there but she was just worshiping God and spending time with God and being alone with God. You know, there is a place with God that's only for you and him. I love the altar. Matter of fact, most church services that I was in growing up, we were in the altar at the end of every service. A matter of fact, I remember one big guy, big guy. You know, this church has a lot of big guys. I'm pretty tall and big, you know. But, and, that, you know, that's why I'm down here. I don't know if the platform's rated for me. But, the, you know, there was one really big guy. And he used to sit at the altar backwards with his arm out like this because his son would always be right here. And I thought, what a great way to grow up listening to your dad pray in the altar. And knowing that praise, you know, breaks up the ground. Preaching plants a seed, but it's in the altar that we apply what we've heard. And that's where we begin to grow, you know, when we spend time with the Lord and he, he waters it and he germinates it and he brings life. And all of a sudden we're, we're a new creation in Christ and the old is gone and the new has come. We come in here dragging all the, the, the world's clean, you know. The, the world, it's like when you go camping and that dirt gets about up to the knees. It just sort of sticks to you and, and sometimes you just got to come in here and shake it off and say, you know what, Lord, I'm, I'm here for you. And the world isn't what's important at this moment. It's hard. Uh, a guy wrote a book, and I, I won't get the title right, but uh, it was uh, something about I used to be a human being. And what it's really about is, and you know, uh, Elon Musk, how did he become the richest man in the world? I haven't figured that out, but he's slick. But... Um, He said, we've become cyborgs because we have this extension of a computer running our lives. And uh, the the guy that wrote the premise, I become a human being, he said he went to a technology detox, like our guys in recovery would go to a drug and alcohol detox. He went to a technology detox and they took his phone and there was no technology inside. And he said, you know, you don't realize how addicted we are to, you know, I mean, how excited do you get when you clear a whole row of those blocks coming down or, you know, or, you know, you get five stars on some little game you did or something, or you, you, boy, you got all the bubbles and then the whole thing fell and it was like, and, and you're thinking, woo, what, what what was that? You know, the screen just dropped some fake balls and and you happen to hit the right color so the, a bunch of them fell and we're we're all excited or maybe you're doing the one where it bounces around you know uh, that's about my speed you know there's all the, all the others playing Madden football and Call of Duty or something I'm playing 
bubble burst, you know. <laughs> it's the right speed for me. It's, you, I, and when they fall, <laughs> it's like, ha, ha, I feel a witness. But anyway, uh, I just want you to... We've talked about different people's dilemmas, and I think we can all relate to uh, the struggles of different biblical characters. And maybe you relate to one more than another. Maybe you're like Peter, you're always putting your foot in your mouth. Or, you know, like Moses, where you're reluctant to do what you know God wants you to do. Or, you know, you just, you know, there's no telling which one. Maybe you're like Jonah, you think you know better than God what's best. And, and so we all have different dilemmas. And, you know, our dilemmas can be in so many forms. It could be in the form of family. It could be in the form of finances. It could be in the form of your health. It could be trouble at work. It could be uh, trouble with getting an education. You know, it could be anything. Your dilemmas, we, we can relate to that. But, you know, sometimes we don't think about God's dilemma. Sometimes we don't think, we don't put the other shoe on. Uh, when I was researching this particular passage we're going to talk about tonight, it talks about everybody but Jesus. It's so amazing to me how Jesus is talked about, but it really emphasizes Judas and Peter and, you know, it goes down other paths. I mean, it was the night that uh, Jesus says, who do men say that I am? And they rattled off, you know, well, Elijah, John Baptist coming back, or one of the other prophets. But who do you say I am? And Peter says, why, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And he goes, well done, Peter. You couldn't have got that anywhere but from the Father above. I mean, this is this is anointed God inspired. And, and you know, Peter kind of went... Yeah, you know, and then he thought, well, now I'm, I'm uh, uh, officially important. And uh, Jesus talked about how he was going to die. And uh, of course, the, you know, you got to let him finish the sentence. I'm going to die. And three days later, I'm coming back. And, and he went over and shook him, you know, because now I'm spiritual. And uh, he shook him real good. And, and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. No, you don't have any part uh, to do with me. And he said to Judas, you know, It'd be better if you'd never been born. How would you like God to say that to you? Not because God didn't want him in heaven, you understand. But because Judas would not only betray Jesus, he would take his own life. And so uh, Judas was going to, you know, Jesus said this statement. He said, all those you gave me, Lord, I haven't lost a one. So what that tells me is he never had Judas. Judas may, and, and here's the sad fact. You can be around it and not be part of it and not understand it. You know, get frustrated. I, I just don't get why. The, why are those people so loud? And, and, they, and, they, and, they, and they just make a fool out of their self dancing around up there. And, and it just seems silly. Well, you just haven't been under the spigot because when you get under the spigot, you're going to jump up and down and you're going to make noise and you're going to spin around. And, and you know, sometimes... It's like speaking in tongues. You might feel a little foolish the first time you let a few syllables out, you know, like it just, but then once it flows and you realize the strength that can be gained and the, and the, the healing and, the, and the, the words that God can speak in, in the courts of heaven through you by the Holy Spirit, that all of a sudden things turn and you're like, oh, why didn't I get filled with the Holy Spirit sooner? And why don't I pray in tongues more? And why haven't I spent more time with the Lord? I, I, love, I love the Gospels. You know, John is my favorite. Even though we're in Matthew tonight, uh, John is my favorite. I believe uh, John in every chapter, like looking at the facets in a diamond, shows a different side of Jesus. And every chapter you get to go deeper into who Jesus is, and it's beautiful. The synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are more of, uh, more of a uh, ongoing diary of what Jesus was up to. And they agree with each other and confirm each other and, and uh, you know, fill in details for each other. So the synoptic gospels, or the similar gospels, were written for different reasons. Matthew was written to the Jewish people. Uh, Mark was written to the Romans. And uh, Luke was written to the Greeks. But John is just a love letter. So if you really want a book, I know we encourage new believers to read it. I think you need to go back and read it regularly. If you're going through the Bible and you get through the Bible in a year, let's say that's a goal of yours, uh, read John three or four times because John just brings you back to the whole point. 
We, we, you know, the Old Testament is looking forward. The three Gospels are recording what he did. And all the rest of the uh, Bible is either prophetic or it's, you know, one third of the Bible is prophetic. But then there are the letters to the churches that are doctrinal and they're correction and they're, you know, encouraging and whatnot. So when you read the Gospel of John, it almost feels like that's the head of the pin that the whole thing pivots on. Because when you're looking at the Old Testament, there are pre-incarnation visits from Jesus. Like when Abraham was told he would have a child, that was Jesus. When there was somebody in the fiery furnace, that was Jesus. He was in there with them. It's amazing and it's beautiful. When the bush was on fire, that was Jesus. When he was up on the mountain, there was Jesus. God, God in the pre-incarnation moments, still came to people. When he whispered to Elijah and Elijah pulled the cloak over, it was Jesus. And here's Jesus tonight, right here. So what's his dilemma? You know, I, I think at the, at the creation, when Adam became a living soul, nothing else in the creation was treated like us. The rest of the creation, he spoke it into existence. And I love the way Pastor put it. You know, he created a container and then he filled it. You know, he created the heavens and the earth. And he filled the sky with stars and the sun and the moon and all the planets. And, and then he created the sea and he filled the sea with all the living creatures that are in the sea, the whales and the fish. And then he made the land and it appeared and then he covered it in grass and tree and, and put the, the animals. But it was all spoken. My favorite part of the creation story is that he had light before he had a light bulb. I love that. Read it. Read it. The sun, moon, and stars come two days later. If God wants light, he just says, let's have some. He's light, and in him is no darkness anyway. But he, even before there was the sun, moon, and the stars, he separates the light from the darkness. And it doesn't say that he blended the light and darkness. It says he separated them. You know, I know we have a twilight and a dusk. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I, I live on the earth too. But, but he separated light from darkness. God doesn't want us to live in the gray. And so many times people, you know, they choose the gray. I, I don't see the harm in it. There may not be any harm in it, but it may not be what's best. Let's go for what's best. Let's go for what's best. You know why this church is thriving? Because our pastor is going for what's best. I love when he said, I can't hardly sit in front of a computer anymore because I just want to go after his presence. You know what that tells me? We're in the right church. Things are going to happen when you have a leader that's actually leading. Somebody that pulls a sermon down off sermon.com every week is following. He's not a leader. But we have somebody that's pulling down a sermon from heaven. That's a leader. That's a leader. Amen? I, you know, I don't believe in uh, flattery, which is to manipulate. And he's not in here, so I can talk about him. But we've got, a, we've got a great pastor. And if you hear a detraction from our great pastor, you need to encourage that detractor to pray for him, not gossip about him. Because I won't tolerate it. I never have. As long as I've been here, from the day I stepped in this church, I said, we're fortunate. Don't you ever doubt that. Because I know churches that are, you know, Many times our size that would just love to have a leader. Shh, don't tell him anything. I'm not selfish. We can have, uh, you know, all those people here, but uh, we don't want him going wherever that is. You know, that's not, not going to happen. In your books, let's go to the, uh, the book of Matthew in your Bibles. Uh, I love the Bible on my phone. That's okay. But, you know, there's something about holding a Bible, too. I, you know, I don't know. I, I still have a library. I still have books. I still like holding them. There, there are options when you get a book at Amazon. You can get paperback, hardback, or Kindle. And I'll get a sample on Kindle, but if I read that first chapter and I decide it's a book I want, I've got to have the hard one. If I read the first chapter and, and I don't like it, I can say, woo, dodged a bullet, you know. But uh, because, you know, the books I like, they're never the cheap ones. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm past uh, Peanuts and Dennis Menace, so they're starting to get expensive. There's a book I'm following right now that, uh, Connie, shh, anyway. <laughs> it's normally 150 bucks and it's 75 right now, and I'm just chomping for some sort of bonus. You didn't hear that, Connie, that wasn't a word I said out loud. Even. 
Yeah. Hey, it was my birthday a few days ago. Was it a $75 birthday? I'm not sure. If it was, hey. See how sweet she is. You know what? You know what this means? You know what that? I'm going to tell you what it means. This is what it means. Hey, new pair of shoes for me. Go ahead, get a book. And I'll get some boots. She came home with some boots the other day, and I said, you got some new boots? Yeah, aren't they cute? I said, I don't know. You're not wearing them. How do I know? You got to put the cute in them before I can tell, you know. Oh, quit. Quit. Hey, I think she actually blushed. Look at her. Look at her. I didn't even know you were that color. That's pretty cool. Now we know she's a Razorback fan, you know. God bless her. She's so sweet. We're in the 31st verse of the 26th chapter of the book of Matthew. And even though I'm going to talk about other verses, this is the one I want us to look at. On the way, Jesus told them, tonight all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. I really want you to focus on the first line just for a moment here. On the way, Jesus told them, tonight all of you will desert me. Of course, you know what they said. Oh, no, we'll never do that. No. No. We wouldn't do that. You've been there for us for three years and we've learned so much and we love you so much. And even during the Last Supper, he's telling them how he's going to die and how he's going to suffer at the hands of sinners and how he's, he's going to, you know, all these things are going to happen. And, and he's talking to them and he's preparing them and he's foretelling that he's going to die and on the third day he's going to be resurrected and he's going to return to them and I'll see you again and, you know, we won't share again a meal again until you know it's accomplished and all these things are being spoken and it's just going he even says the one that dips in the gravy he's going to betray me you know what i mean somebody's got gravy on their fingers and they're going who 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 and judas is like no it's all right you know they're like no i just told you judas he even said it'd be better if he'd never been born that troubles me but here's the thing you, you gather around you people that are uh, going the same direction. And you'll never rise higher than the ones you surround yourself with. So surround yourself with good people. You can minister to anybody, but your intimates better be better. Better than the rest. Because you know what? We want to strive for better. We don't want to strive for average. We don't want to go backwards. We want to go forward. If somebody's not pushing to go forward, you're with the wrong people. Oh, just quit it. When somebody says compromise, you need to say, see ya. Yeah. And I mean, see ya goodbye. Because yeah. compromise can't be tolerated. If you want compromise, you want failure. Yeah. Don't, don't compromise. God doesn't say, uh, you know, six out of 10 or eight out of 10 will be fine. It's not like that. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another, that your joy might be full. That your joy might be full. Do you really love? Or you, do you just like to be loved? Do you really love? Or do you just like to be loved? Jesus had a crowd of 5,000 men on the hill. There was probably fifteen to 20,000 people, including children and women, on a hillside. Listening, on, hanging on every word. He fed them with a boy's lunch. Then he would have thousands again. Thousands. There were crowds that would follow him like a procession. It was amazing. There were people that pledged themselves to him. There were people that gathered around the campfire. There were people he took up to the Mount of Transfiguration. But you know the truth? Through the whole thing, through his entire ministry, Jesus was really alone. You know, we've got to think about the fact that one day we don't stand up in front of God as a couple, as a family, as a church. We stand before God as an individual. And I'll tell you what, if that doesn't make you tremble, you need to think twice about standing in front of your creator when he's putting you on the spot. All I want to hear is well done. Well done. And you know what? That's not to be taken for granted. Well done isn't just like tumbling down a hill. Well done is by choice. 
I choose you, Lord. I choose to be in a relationship with you. I choose to listen to you. I choose to follow you. I choose to learn about you. I choose to talk to you. I choose to share with you. I choose to be with you. I choose to spend eternity with you. I choose to let your will be part of every minute of my breathing life. It's a choice. You're not going to get to heaven by accident. Oh, is this the off-ramp? Well, I hadn't noticed. We made it. How about that? I was going to Orlando, but I guess, you know, I took a turn somewhere. We get to heaven because we chose him. He chose us first. He chose everybody first. But you know what? Not everybody's going. Jesus came down on that hill, on that colt. His day that was predicted. On this day, you'll see your Messiah riding on a colt. Coming down on this street, on this hill, and he will be your king. And he's coming on this calendar day. And on that day, they celebrated him. God save us. Hosanna, Hosanna. They waved palms and they threw down coats and palms. And and, uh, you have to understand symbolically, palms were joy. Willows were sorrow. The old booths were made out of willows and palms, which was you know, your, your shelter is made out of joy and sorrow. But on the day he's coming into the city, you don't see any willows. You see palms. It's all about joy. And so here's his day when even the, uh, the Jewish leaders were present because they had the calendar date. It was the end of the 69th week of Daniel. And they knew the day to be out there looking up the hill for a colt. And the man on the colt is going to be your Messiah. Now. No, 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 not him, no. And he's coming down, people are just praising him, quoting the psalm. There's a psalm that they're quoting, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they walk over and say, tell your disciples to be quiet. It can't be you, not you. And he said, you know, if if I tell them to be quiet, the rocks will cry out because the creation under your feet knows it's me. This creation knows it's me. I spoke this into existence. It's me. And I'm here right now. And at some point coming down the hill, he he came to a turn where that beautiful city was in front of him. And he just racked himself with sobs. Because even though the crowd was exalting him, he knew that... Just, just less than a week later, they'd be saying, crucify him. Pilate would say, what do you want me to do? Crucify him! And even though there was a, a, you know, a thief on the left and on the right, they weren't there for him. They were there because of crimes they committed, and even one of the thieves admitted it. While the other one mocked Jesus, he said, would you just stop? We're here for what we've done. He hasn't done a thing. I still, I still can't quite conceive that a thief hanging on the cross, and maybe he'd been caught up in the, you know, the Jesus fever, the Jesus fever, you know. Maybe he'd been to one of his meetings or read the Jerusalem Times or something, but he had an insight that even the disciples didn't have. The disciples were afraid they'd be next. They were hiding. They were behind locked doors. If they were watching Jesus, except for John the Beloved, who was at his feet with Mama, the rest of them were off at a distance. If they were even watching at all, they were, they were, be quiet. We don't want to get caught. You haven't seen any Romans lately, have you? But this thief that's stretched out, gasping for air, suffocating. The death on the cross is a death of suffocation. The more tired you get, the more difficult it is to pull in and push up to fill your lungs. So your breaths get shorter and shorter as you get tired. It would take days for people to die. That's why the Jews wanted them down before the Sabbath. So Pilate sent them to break the legs. Because then you can't push up to get your breath. But they found he was already dead. And Pilate was surprised. But... They had proven it when they stuck the the sword in, the spear, when they pierced his side, out came water and blood. The, The blood and the clot had separated. He was gone. He was up there alone. 
We weren't up there with him. His apostles weren't up there with him. He was there alone. In the garden, you know, he went past the first nine, took three in. He went past the three, took into the inner garden. And he said, just watch and wait with me. He went in further. He said, Lord, Lord, if there's any other way. There was flesh in Jesus. And don't think that he couldn't have seen a life here. Even at its worst, there were days around the campfire when I'm sure he just laughed his head off and thought, this is just wonderful. To be here in the flesh with you guys, it's awesome. Fist bumps all around, you know. He went out to check them and they were sleeping and he went back and said, nevertheless, God, not my will. You want to know how God wants you to pray? Not, not my will. Yours be done. God's will is better than my will anyway. You know, I want what I know. He wants what I don't know. I don't know what God has in store for me. God's not done yet. How do I know that? I woke up this morning. It's a new day. It's a blank page. What are you going to do with it? It doesn't have to be the same old thing as yesterday. You know, Christians are bored because they're not dancing with the Lord. They're trudging in the path that they think is the one they should be walking. God wants to delight your day and fill it with him. But we've got to turn off our technology and we've got we to gotta turn off some of the binging and, and the, you know, even the innocent stuff. You know, we've got to lay our books down for a minute and just get quiet before the Lord and listen. He's speaking, but he's not going to talk over you. He's not going to violate your will. He's not going to railroad you. He's not going to push you into what he wants. He's going to wait until you're hungry. You know when food tastes the best is when you're hungry. Connie would say you're hangry. I can tell you're hungry. You're grouchy, you hangry man. They should call it a hangry man meal. You know, go buy a big box of food. I got my hangry man. And then show the guy smiling when it's over. I'm not hangry no more. <laughs> well, you're turning red, but not for the same reason. Oh, well, I'll try harder. Even when he was washing their feet, even when he was eating the meal, when he tore the bread, he was thinking about the body being torn. Think about it. He's tearing that bread saying, this is my body broken for you. And he's breaking the bread. They just see a loaf of bread. But he can see what's ahead. He can see. It's not very many hours before this will be me. Fat lip, swollen eye, beard pulled out. The Bible says they pulled his beard out. Platted him with a crown of thorns, blood trickling down, eye swollen shut. They bludgeoned him. They blindfolded him, bludgeoned him. Prophesy who hit you, old preacher man. They put a robe on him, put a reed in his hand as a scepter, and the Roman soldiers mocked him. And then they hit him with the reed, took it out of his hand, scourged him, gave him those 39 stripes for our healing. Isaiah had predicted that. He said, by his stripes we are healed. But if you read in the New Testament, it says, by his stripes we were healed. In other words, your healing's already on deposit at the bank of heaven. Just go punch in your number. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, I'll take that. God just wants you to believe. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But are we listening? Are we listening? You know, we got, we got more access to the Bible than anybody's ever had. You do realize that nobody had a, a family Bible on the coffee table in the old days. The scrolls were down at the temple and they were down at the synagogue. You didn't have a pocket scroll. Got my little pocket scroll here. You memorized the Bible. When you became a, a Jewish boy and you were educated at the synagogue, you memorized the first five books of the Bible. The Mosaic record was memorized by every man in Israel. They all knew the Exodus story. They all knew 
the Genesis story. They all knew about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They all knew. And then the other books of the uh, Old Testament were studied by those that were rabbi candidates. They had to memorize the other 35, 34 books of the Old Testament. So all 39 books were memorized. You didn't get to take home a scroll. You didn't go down to the Jewish library and check out, I'd like to check out the scroll of Isaiah. I have stacks of Bibles. How about you? I, in my bookcase at work, there's four or five stacked up. There's one that's uh, five volumes in a slip case that's written like a story. That's just at work. And then in the car, I usually have two. I brought two tonight. I have uh, some sitting on end tables. And, and uh, then your phone. If you have uh, the Version Bible, last time I counted, and I'm sure they've added more, but it was 27 translations in English. If you'd like to hear it in some other language, it's available. You could hear it in German or Russian or, uh, you know, matter of fact, I have a translation of the Bible that is Gullah. You ever heard of Gullah? Gullah is an island. It's a language on an island off of the Georgia coast or the Carolina coast, one or the other. I can't read it. I, I thought it'd be really interesting, but what you can't, it might as well be German. I don't know what it says. And then I got one in pigeon, uh, Hawaiian pigeon language. I can't read it either. I don't speak pigeon. But I wanted to, you know, I wanted to come in here and, you know, talk to you in some sort of funny Bible language, but it didn't work. If they come out with a redneck Bible, I think I'll understand that one though. They have one in Klingon, but I don't speak that either. Isn't it amazing that there could be a Bible that could go to a Comic-Con and somebody might get saved because they go to Klingon Chapel? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be amazing? Do we have a missionary to Comic-Con, you know, San Diego? Dress up like a big Klingon. Praise the Lord. Have an altar call in Klingon. Be amazing, wouldn't it? I, you know, if it reaches people, who cares? Who cares? If that's what's in your wheelhouse and the gospel goes forth and your life is changed, I believe God will welcome them. You know, welcome, welcome to heaven. <laughs> be great. Wanna be? We sing this song. It always felt like an ice skating song to me. Won't it be wonderful there? Having no burdens to bear. Joy. Doesn't it? It feels like we should be on ice, you know. I didn't make the ice follies, but, you know, that, that, that would have been my song. I would have been. Understand. Jesus slipped away to pray. He slipped away to pray. All the time. He would send the crowd away, send the disciples on to Taco Bell or... Burger King, whatever they thought would be good, and then he would go out into the, the field and pray. There's a story told about a guy named Praying Hyde, and he was just a guy in church in Canada, just a guy. Praying Hyde picked up his name from the Indian people. His brother was already arranged, it was already arranged that his brother was going to go to India as a missionary, and his brother died. And I don't even know Praying Hyde's first name, but he went to the mission board and he said, the money's already raised. My brother was going to go. I feel like God wants me to step into his shoes. And the board felt he was right. And so they approved for the funds that had been stored up to send his brother to send him. And the Indian people in, in India believed him to be nearly a god because it seemed like he never slept. He would minister to people all day and he'd pray all night. And he started asking God for a soul a day. I want a soul a day, God. Give me a soul a day. And then he said, God, one's not enough. How about two? Can I have two? And they said he wouldn't stop until he had three a day. Do you understand if we get three a day, that's a thousand people a year? A thousand people a year. Wouldn't that be amazing? When I was in recovery, uh, Presenting the gospel was part of the intake. 
So, I mean, it was like shooting fish in a barrel because you would present the gospel while you're taking them into something they want very desperately. You know, they want to be in recovery and you're presenting the gospel. And I had three accept the gospel story in one day. And I was so excited, you know. And I know for some it was probably just, I'll do whatever you want, chaplain, just let me in, you know. But uh, it was pretty wonderful. And I've always thought of praying Hyde and how he had to have three a day before he could rest. What a great replacement. He thought there'd be a link missing in the chain without his brother in India. So he chose to go in his place. God wants us to have a passion like that, that if I don't go, how will they know? You know, Jesus came here to be among us. His brothers rejected his ministry. You know that, right? Even though James became the head of the church, his brother, his half-brother, but James became the head of the church, but it wasn't until after the resurrection that his brothers really latched on to Jesus. Before that, that's my stepbrother. I mean, you know, that's my half-brother. What, what do you want me to say? He's a good carpenter. I've seen him work with wood. Sometimes familiarity breeds contempt. But imagine when you're baffling people at 12 years old because of your, your understanding of scripture. He's in the temple with the most educated scholars in Israel. And he's putting things together and they can see the truth of it. But it's coming out of this 12-year-old that hasn't been chosen to be a rabbi candidate. What in the world is happening here? This kid is just blowing us away. And all his parents can think of is you're not in the caravan going home, son. We had to come back and find you. Come on, we got to go. Mary treasured stuff all the time, and if you follow Mary, she treasures it up in her heart. You know, it was Mary that had the insight to say, do whatever he says. He was busy telling her, it's not my time yet. Why are you bothering me, woman? And she's telling the servants, just do whatever he tells you. And he says, all right, mom. You guys get some, you know, jars and fill them with water. And then dip it and take it to the host. Understand. Jesus' walk was a lonely walk. He was surrounded by people. Have you ever been in a crowd and felt like the only one in the room? I mean, it happens. But you have to have the ability to walk your faith out alone. Nobody's, I can't get to heaven because Connie is, uh, you know, so spiritual. So spiritual. Spill water on the floor and she walks right up above it, you know. Hey, you gotta love Connie if you know Connie. Yeah. Wow. If you know Tim, it's more like, eh, well. But Connie is, wow. But you know what? I can't get into heaven on Connie. Even if I buy her a nice birthday gift. You know, God will say, yeah, you got her a nice birthday gift, but I'm talking about your walk with me. Can you imagine how hard it was to live up to a dad like Billy Graham? It's no wonder his son rebelled, and his son did rebel. He cut a tree down with a gun. <laughs> crack, 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 snap, pop. <sighs> he went into uh, things just because... It would get him out from under the shadow of his dad. Billy Graham isn't going to be able to say to Jesus, this is my son. Just, he gets a free pass, right? It's not going to be like that. Franklin will get in because Franklin has a relationship with God. It doesn't matter that his dad has a big museum and a great memory and knew all these presidents and pretty much any door would open. Billy Graham was one of the only guys that could go to Buckingham Palace, knock on the door, and they'd open it up and say, oh, Billy, come on in. But that's the kind of relationship he had with kings and presidents. Presidents didn't deny Billy Graham an audience. Billy Graham got in to talk to people, and he did. And we thank God for people that have that kind of access.
What a guy. But his access did not provide Franklin a free pass. You have a praying wife? I can tell you from experience, you're a lucky man. But it won't get you to heaven. I have children I dearly love, but I'm not sure if any of them are going to church. Not that church is a prerequisite to going to heaven. They all know about God. But I want them to go to church. I mean, I see pastors that have sons and daughters that are in ministry, you know, daughters that are singing and preaching and sons that are missionaries and pastors. And, and I, my heart just aches to have that sort of relationship. And my kids have, you know, some of my kids have kicked it around at times, you know. But they're not going to heaven because they're my son or daughter. Jesus had a lonely experience and he showed us that he could do it without sin. Why? Because he was Teflon plated, because he was God, because he was God. No, he was carnal like you were. He had to be tempted in all points like us, but without sin. So he had to be capable of failure. But he walked it out without failure. That's a, that's a big ask. You're in flesh too, and you know to live without sin would be a big ask. You know why we make it? Because of the Holy Spirit that's been deposited in us. It's the fruit of the Spirit. If we live a life that's free from our failures, it's because of our reliance on the Holy Spirit. It's not because I've proven that I can be a great Christian. It's because I've proven that God within me is the hope of glory. I get to go to heaven because the Holy Spirit enables me to have the strength that I need to do what I need and become what I need to be. Jesus went through all these trials and the disciples didn't get it. He'd get frustrated and tell them once in a while, well, you know, you have little faith. How many times do I have to tell you? Can you imagine? They would uh, wake him from sleep because... These are, and these are brawny men. These are working men. These are fishermen. These are guys used to being out on the water. These are guys that work hard. These, these are men. But they're out on the Sea of Galilee believing their boat's going down. And they go back when they tell Jesus, aren't you aware that we could die? And Jesus stands up and says, quiet! And the storm goes, yip, 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 yip. And it's like glass. One minute they're afraid of the storm, the next minute they're afraid of him. We've never seen anything like this before. He steps off and there's a guy who's broken all of his bonds, running around naked, talking out of the top of his head, crazy as a loon, hanging out in the cemetery. Jesus says, go. And the demons go. The demons go. And the man just, just crumbles at his feet. I just want to follow you now. And Jesus says, go tell people what's happened. That's going to do something pretty wonderful. Jesus was alone in all this. They, they couldn't catch up. They couldn't keep up. They, couldn't, they weren't aware of who he really was, even though they declared who he was. You know how it is? You can say something. And still not be aware of what you're saying. Still not be aware of who you're hanging with. Still not be aware of the caliber. This is God. They tried to manipulate him, you know. James and John's mom came and said, hey, I want, them, I want my boys on your right and left. He said, that's not mine to, to, to give. They tried to manipulate him and get what they wanted. Judas betrayed him to push him. Judas wasn't just trying to make 30 pieces of silver. Judas was trying to push him so that we could throw the Romans off, be in charge, and I'll be a big shot in government. Instead of some little flimsy purse of money, I can run the treasury. Let's get the Romans out of here. 
Here, Jesus, show them who you are. And then Jesus surrenders to him, and he's just like, that's not how that played out in my mind. He was alone. His dilemma was he was alone. His blood became his great drops of blood. His sweat, his sweat just became his, he was so, there was so much strain, all of our sin crashing down on him, becoming a scapegoat for what I did in the future. Father, if there's any other way, I could settle down, maybe build furniture. Nevertheless, not what I want. Let's do what you want. He didn't do that as a group. He did that as one man interceding for all of humanity, for all of eternity. We think about Peter and his failure and his recovery. We think about Judas and his failure and not recovering. We think about the disciples and their squabbles and their finger pointing. We think about how they fled and then they came back and how they all became martyrs. But we never think about the fact that from beginning to end, nobody really caught up with who Jesus was. Nobody really understood what he was saying. Nobody really got it until he died and was resurrected and joined them on different occasions and showed them that what I said is what I meant and it's real. They admired him. They looked up to him. They were amazed by him. But then they believed him. And they would die for him. They all died. Except for John. Poor John. They boiled him in oil. I don't know about you, but if you're going to be boiled in oil, I'd rather just go ahead and die. He survived boiling in oil and then he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. And there he had his visions of revelation and wrote them down. He's the only one that we believe died of old age. Paul would be beheaded. You know, Peter crucified upside down. They, they suffered. But imagine Peter, you know, the one that denied him three times saying, I'm not worthy to be crucified right side up. Turn me upside down. I don't deserve to be crucified like Jesus. John, if you read John, he'll pound you. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. After spending three years leaning back against Jesus, he knew that this is the only thing that God cares about, the relationship that we have with one another. A matter of fact, when you read about the first church, matter of fact, we need to. Let's just take a look there. When we read about the first church, what does it say in chapter 2 of the book of Revelation? It says... I know the things that you do. I've seen your hard work, your patient endurance. I know that you don't tolerate evil people. You have uh, examined the claims of those who say they're apostles but are not. You have discovered that they're liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Maybe your translation says, return to your first love. Come back to me. How do you think it felt at the hardest of hard times to watch all your support go? Talk about feeling rejected, abandoned, forgotten. Oh, I'm out of here. Oh, I've seen what they did to you. And if they do it to you, they're coming for me next. I got to go. You know, we put beautiful words to it like the Via Della Rosa. Doesn't that sound beautiful? After he was beaten, after he was falsely accused, after he was scourged, after he stood before Pilate. You know, I love the, the way he, he had been doused with a year's wages worth of precious perfume and only royalty and rich people smelled like he did at that moment so he had this regal smell when he stood in front of Pilate and he's, he's you know got an eye swollen shut blood everywhere maybe still has a plaited crown of thorns he's, he's 
really beaten. And Pilate says, you know, I have the power of life and death over you. Jesus says, no, you don't. Pilate's wife had said, don't touch that man. You stay away from him. I've had bad dreams. You don't need to have any part of this. Pilate tried to wash his hands, but only Pilate could authorize the crucifixion. And then he goes up this path, and the cross is so heavy, whether he had a cross beam or the whole cross, whatever it was, part of the humiliation was dragging up there your method of death. And he couldn't carry it. He was so weak, he'd lost blood, he'd been beaten. And they grabbed a guy off the sidelines and says, carry it. And he drug himself all the way up there. And they nailed him to it. And he died. He didn't deserve it. And somehow one of the thieves saw it. And that thief got to be in paradise with him that day. Because he could see beyond the cross. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. How did he come up with that? How did he do it? How did he figure out that this isn't over? Of course it's over. He's being crucified. It's over. But the thief next to him said, remember me. They rode by on their little donkeys. I can just see these religious people. You did things for other people. Let's see if you can do it for yourself. Why don't you come down off of there? We'll believe you then. The soldiers mocked him and gambled for his clothes. Rejected, abandoned, forgotten. And yet from the cross, what's he doing? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Hey, John, take care of mom. What? What? No, what you're saying on the cross is, ow, this hurts. But not Jesus. Jesus' mind is still on our needs. Jesus is still communicating his love for mom. Jesus is still saying, God, put it all on me. Forgive them. They knew from the beginning this would have to happen. It didn't make it any easier. Oh, but I love when, you know, when Mary went to the garden. What have you done with him? Where have they taken him? Mary. She just melts right there. Oh, Rabbi. Oh, Rabbi, it's so good to see you. Unbelievable. Beyond our understanding. He'd raised three people from the dead already. Tabitha, arise. You remember that? Little boy on his way, a boy on the way to uh, his burial, and he interrupts the burial procession, and, and uh, he calls his friend out of the cave. Roll the stone back. Oh, he stinks. Isn't it interesting? It's too late for you, God. Have we done that? Give up on something God wants to do? It's too late, God. Is there anything too hard for God? then why do we act like it? Don't act like it's too hard. God is waiting to do it. What's the it that God needs to do? Are we believing him? If the scripture says, by his stripes we were healed, aren't we healed? If the scripture says, if you being human know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more do I know how to give good gifts to the ones that I love? Money's not going to matter in heaven. If we need to make the bills, talk to God. But we'll exhaust every other option, you know. We don't do it anymore, you know. We used to collect bottles. I can see somebody trying to make the rent, driving around. You see a bottle, a returnable bottle? Aluminum cans, you know, Christians with aluminum cans heaped up in their car. There's nothing wrong with recycling. Don't get offended. But do we trust the Lord with all our heart? Have we quit leaning on our understanding? The problem is my understanding keeps cropping up. Even Jesus struggled at times. God, if there's any other way, 
He'd just been transfigured. He'd just been up on the mountain with Moses and Elijah. He just glowed in radiant apparel with the, the, just the glory of God all over him. And yet he's in the garden going, God, is there some way we could work out a different path here? What, you think he wasn't human? You think he wasn't going to fill it? You think when they bludgeoned him, he was somehow insulated from that? It wasn't like a Marvel comic where they knock him across the room and they don't feel anything. They come right back. It was a human being being bludgeoned. He felt everything. And when they offered something that would deaden the pain a little bit, he rejected it. He was on the cross and they were going to give him something to numb the pain. And he's like, I don't want that. He took the full weight of what I did. He carried it to the cross and he suffered for my sins. Alone, exposed, humiliated, carrying the guilt that was not his, it was mine. What did he tell his disciples? He told them in verse 31 of chapter 22. I don't feel right. I'm in Isaiah. That's why I don't feel right. It's 26, Matthew. I guess I took the marker out. What was I thinking? Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. Tonight all of you will desert me. That's not what we want to hear from you, Jesus. Tickle our ears and tell us good things. We don't want to hear the bad news. Has there been a point where you failed the Lord? I think we have to fail the Lord to show that we don't do it in our strength, we do it in His. Quit trying to be a Christian and surrender to Christianity. Fall back into God. Quit showing yourself spiritual and be spiritual. Tap into the vine. He is the vine. We are the branches. It's the fruit of the spirit, not the fruit of Tim. What's Jesus' dilemma? To get us to cross the line from hearing about him to having a relationship with him. I have lots of books on Teddy Roosevelt, Abraham Lincoln, uh, I love stories about patriots, Americans, like Ben Franklin and different people. But I don't know any of them. I can not only know about Jesus, but I can know him personally. I can have a relationship with him. This might not make sense to people in the world because they haven't had a relationship with God. But I have a relationship with God. You know, uh, I, I took those college classes that denied the existence of God, but I have a relationship with God. I'm sorry to tell you, your argument doesn't beat my experience. I'm in step with him. I love him, and he loves me. It doesn't mean I'm perfectly in step with him. It doesn't mean I haven't stumbled. Though a righteous man falls seven times, he'll rise again. But sometime, try to see through Jesus' eyes. Try to turn the equation around. How many times have you come up here for his hand instead of his heart? Oh, it's an old thing, and you've heard it before. But how many times have we been, give me, give me God. Give me, give me, give me. Instead of, show me more of who you are. Take another layer off. Let me in a little closer. I want to know you more. Your faith is going to be an individual walk even if you're in a crowd of believers. And those, the support of other believers may be what helps us to get it done. But you're going to stand before God by yourself. God is not crowdsourcing our faith. It's an individual thing. And Jesus was the example that if you commune with the Father, you can get it done. Let's get it done. Jesus' dilemma was, when everybody abandoned him, he still soldiered on. Jesus' dilemma was when everybody misunderstood him, he still did what needed to be done. His dilemma was no matter how plainly he told it to them, they didn't get it until it was already done. So he completed it 
so they could look back and go, oh, now I get it. God will be patient with you. Don't give up on him. God's waiting for you to get the whole picture. Don't quit striving for the whole picture. Don't quit pursuing him. It's like pastor said. Better to chase the present than just more knowledge. You know, some of the some of the most difficult times I've had in my faith were when people knew more about God but didn't know God intimately. You need to know God. And he wants to be known. It might mean you got to unplug that phone. It might mean you got to turn off the TV. It might mean you got to shut the laptop. It might mean you got to leave them in the house and go up on West Mountain or Tower Mountain. It just might mean you got to walk out in the woods a little ways and just get quiet and say, God, it's just me and you. I came out here to say, I love you. I came out here to say, I, I want to be what you created me to be. I want to do what you created me to do. I want to say what you created me to say. The thing that I had as a kid was I didn't want to disappoint my parents. So parent pressure was more important to me than peer pressure. Peer pressure just didn't get to me. But I definitely wanted my parents to be proud of me. Wouldn't it be great if God said, well done, you good and faithful servant, A plus. You know what I mean? I want God to say, good job. But I'm going to need his help to do it. It's not, it's not just me. You know what Jesus said? I and the Father, we're one. And I don't do anything without him. Well, he was God. He's probably the one that blew into Adam's nostrils. He's probably the one that formed him in the dirt. He was the one that told Abraham, come out and look at the stars. He was the one in the fiery furnace talking to the three Hebrews. He was the one. But what did he say? I don't do anything without the Father. I don't say anything that he hadn't said to me first. If Jesus needed the Father, I need the Father. If Jesus needed to slip away and be with him, I need to slip away and be with him. This path, no matter how successful your marriage is, no matter how successful your Christian family is, no matter how good your men's groups and women's groups are, no matter how wonderful prayer time is or whatever, this is an individual walk. Let your light shine. Be close to Jesus. Protect his reputation. Walk with him. You know what made Moses great? And I'll close with this, but I'll tell you what made Moses great. God offered him the opportunity to be Abraham. He said, Moses, you can be Abraham. I'll raise up a nation to you. Let's just get rid of all these rugrats. Let's get rid of all these stiff neck, hard-headed dingbats. Let's just do it. I'll make a nation to you. You know what Moses said? Your reputation is more important than me. What do they think if you just bring them out into the wilderness and crush them? What are they going to think? Do you know God wants you so bad? And we should love him so much that the one thing that matters to us is that we protect his reputation in the earth. That people love him as much as we do. That people see that he's worth having because they see it in us. It should be the defining characteristic of every one of us that Jesus has passed our way. Jesus' dilemma? Helping the father bring all the kids home. He did everything possible and he still does. What are we going to do about it? We need to find time with the Lord. That's what we need to do. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you so much.
you know, uh, sometimes we're like the kids that leave the refrigerator door open and the door on the house open and we each out a house and home and we, we just, we don't, we're not cognizant of what you've done. Sometimes we're just unaware. But God, help us be aware that this came at infinite cost, that you bankrupt heaven, that you spent every dime on humanity, that you were all in, that you did everything you could to redeem mankind. And God, I, I know very well that many people will reject you. But God, let it never be said of us that we did anything but love you in return. Help us, God. Help us, God. To fall on our knees in the garden and say, not my will, but yours be done. Whatever that is, God, help me, help me, help me to be everything you've called me to be. That you might receive glory and honor and praise. That the world might see a reflection of you somehow in this clay that you've created me out of. God, we love you. That's why we're here. But God, help us to see Jesus' perspective. Help us, God, to see the solitude. Help us to see the isolation. Help us to see the struggle so that we can understand that you understand what it's like to be in our shoes. That we have a high priest that is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. A high priest that understands us, that intercedes for us, that says, Dad, I know what it's like for them. I've been there. I've worn those clothes. I've walked in those shoes. I know how hard it is. Dad, I'm telling you, we just got to keep pulling for them. Thank you, God, for being a God that cares so much. We worship you. We adore you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a Thanks for tuning in. Our hope is that these messages will help you on your journey of discovering who Christ is and who you are in Him. You can learn more about our ministry at lvahs.org or follow us on Instagram at lakeview.hs.